Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 it's lifeline with craig roberts he's the host of northern california's longest running conservative talk show he's a man with a message a conservative with compassion he's lifeline's own craig roberts he was one of the most influential leaders of the first century church He is credited with writing a significant portion of the New Testament, and his story of conversion is perhaps one of the most dramatic examples of the life-changing power of the gospel. He was a man known as Saul that became a man named Paul. Now, I admit that buildup almost sounds like I'm about to introduce him, but actually, we meet one of his biographers, a man who has studied Paul's writings, teached Paul's precepts, and today shares his insights on a man named Paul. A new book, by the way, by pastor, Bible teacher, and author Gary Mortera. Pastor Gary, welcome. Good to see you again. Craig, it's always good to be here with you. Uh, I'm curious, just right out the gate, given the sheer number of books that have been written about this man, who admittedly is a very significant figure in Christian history, and I would suspect that most believers today, in one fashion or another, if we could have a uh, a way of tracing our spiritual genealogy could probably somehow track our our spiritual walk back to someone that was influenced by this man. But of all the books written by him, why do you com- feel compelled to write one more? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, for the love of Paul, let me put it that way, for the <laughs> love of Paul. But again, that's kind of a selfish reason, um, just because I love Paul. But honestly, the knowledge... From my studies, I teach Bible colleges and I teach the life of Paul. It's actually two courses. Um, I want people to know the heart and the mind behind the man and to do the research that I've done on his upbringing, his geography, his culture, why he says some of the things that he says, the theology he gained under Gamaliel, and then becomes the head of the church, basically, once he gets saved. Um, He could write like nobody else could write. I mean, Peter walked with Jesus. Peter had the keys of the kingdom. But Peter got eight chapters of the New Testament. He got two little letters because he couldn't write with the depth that Paul wrote. And so I, I just, I'm a Paulaholic. And, and fascinating that, that this figure who, and we'll dive into this in our conversation today, a figure who began by um, persecuting the church and, quite frankly, causing a lot of bloodshed in the church to eventually giving of his own life on behalf of the church. I mean, it, it, it's an amazing story in that. But curious, too, and, and, and maybe um, folks that are new to Christianity, they're beginning to discover the New Testament, looking at the many writings of Paul, would be curious, as you sort of hint at that observation, that here is a man who wasn't even yet born when Jesus died on the cross, to the best of our knowledge, Um, never had a day-to-day contact with Jesus as the apostles did, and yet writes the lion's share of the New Testament. And quite frankly, I think in terms of just 
pure dissemination of, of theology, of insight and understanding of principles and precepts, is probably the, the number one writer in the New Testament. Why is this? So again, uh, but let me clarify a couple things real quick, that Paul was born probably five to ten years after Christ. Right. No, but I mean, not after his death. So he was only five or ten years younger than oh, Jesus. Okay. All right. So remember when he argued with Stephen, that was only three years after the resurrection. And so he was already in his That's early right. 20s, right? Mm-hmm. He's already in his early mm-hmm. 20s. I, I have a whole chapter in the book, and I talked to Dr. John MacArthur about this, that I believe that Jesus and Paul went toe-to-toe way before the cross, way before the road to Damascus, because Paul was a Pharisee. And who did Jesus argue mostly with? The Pharisees. Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that I will no longer know any man after the flesh, though at one time I knew Christ after the flesh. I do so no longer. So if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. So he said, I used to look at Jesus in a worldly way, but no longer. And I'm not going to look at men anymore that way. When they are in Christ, I'm going to see them as a new creature. So I believe Paul and Jesus went toe-to-toe. Remember what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus. Why are you kicking against the goads? And I'd explain what those goads were in Paul's spirit, that he heard the Peter on the day of Pentecost— he heard Stephen's eloquent speech on that day when he, when they stoned him to death. I believe that Paul saw Jesus do miracles, teach things that Paul hadn't been able to see in the Old Testament, and all those were goads, and it was inflaming his anger to a high pitch where now he's killing Christians. And it says he was breathing out violence against the church. So his response to all of this wasn't simply looking at what was happening in the growth of the early church, um, this was a direct, as you're suggesting, almost a direct response to Jesus himself. I believe they saw each other many times. How could he not? I'll tell you why. Paul was a Jew. What did the Jewish men have to do three times a year? Come into Jerusalem for the Mm -hmm. Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and in-gathering. Well, who was teaching at the temple? Jesus. How could Paul not have met Jesus? There's no way. And um, Paul says, or excuse me, Mark says that it was out of envy that the Jews turned Jesus over to Pilate. They they were jealous of him. And so Paul was involved in these kinds of interactions. That's my take on it. And I think I have a stronger argument. Well, and you're probably right. I mean, while no direct evidence certainly within Scripture to suggest that their paths ever cross, right. there are certainly plenty of, as you're suggesting, circumstantial Evidence that would also perhaps give us a deeper understanding in terms of this spiritual warfare that was taking place, and, and maybe also gives us a deeper insight as to why God would choose Saul of Tarsus of all people, and that encounter then on the road to Damascus might perhaps not have been the first time that they really quote unquote met. Well, watch this, and I said this in the book that when the light hit him, he said, "Saul." Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul's response was, who are you, Lord? He knew the voice of Jesus. And he said, are you Lord? Is that you? He knew who that was. And immediately the Lord says, go into the city of Damascus. Yeah, go into the city of Damascus. So there's just too much circumstantial evidence. Logically, Paul had to have been in Jerusalem. It says in in the Gospels that Jesus had become well-known, not just in Judea, but all over Galilee, the Decapolis, all up and down the Mediterranean. 
How could Paul have not met Jesus? There's no way. Now, when we talk about Paul in terms of how unlikely he would be to become majority author of the New Testament, a major leader in the early first century church, um, we often sort of dismiss that based on his history of persecution of the church and of Christians in specific. And yet from the, the standpoint of a learned individual, a Roman citizen of Jewish background who had been considered, and you talk about this in the book, a man named Paul, had been considered a child prodigy. Um, this was no dummy, to be sure. In fact, in some respects, if you look at the majority of the major characters, the major authors of the New Testament, the apostles, say, wow, this, this guy's really got a pretty incredible resume, doesn't he? Yeah, and that's why I was saying he could write like Peter and the rest could not. Um, Paul himself said he was the valedictorian, right? He said, I, I was at the head of my class. I came behind no one in, in Judaism, studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He was shaped from birth. I mean, his dad was a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. They raised him in Tarsus until he was 12, ship him off to Jerusalem under the best teacher money could buy Gamaliel. And I mean, Paul's whole life was going to be in the ministry of Judaism. What he didn't realize is that God was going to open up his mind to the deeper truths in scriptures, what he would call later the mysteries that were hidden for ages and generations. So brilliant guy, brilliant. I mean, how could he write the way that he wrote uh, in Romans 8, write the work of the Spirit? That's deep theology that even though Peter had a sense of it, he couldn't write those things. With me today in studio, Pastor Gary Mortero from Faith Fellowship in San Leandro. His broadcast, by the way, I Speak Life, is heard Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. You can get more information about his broadcast ministry as well as Faith Fellowship by going online to ispeaklife.net. That's ispeaklife.net. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. A look at a man named Paul as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. In studio with us today, a familiar voice to KFAX listeners. He is Pastor Gary Mortara, Senior Pastor at Faith Fellowship Church of San Leandro. His broadcast Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. called I Speak Life. And you can get more information about both the pulpit ministry as well as the broadcast ministry of Pastor Gary. Go online to ispeaklife.net. That's ispeaklife.net. A new book out called A Man Named Paul that really dives into not just the teachings of Paul, but the background and the amazing story and, and the ways in which, as we're suggesting, I think, there is a degree to which he seems to be such an unlikely individual to be such a key leader of the church, and yet in another fashion, in God's economy, a very likely individual that almost would appear to be chosen from the very beginning. Talk mm. more about some of his background as a child. I made a reference earlier that you talk about in the book, A Man Named Paul, that he was considered a child prodigy. Yeah. You know, think about this, Craig. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter's preaching and 3,000 get saved, those are all Jews, converts to Judaism. Peter said, 
the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, those that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter didn't even understand what he was talking about. He was talking about Jews because it took a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven in Acts 10 Mm -hmm. for him to go into a Gentile's house. God uses Paul. Paul's breadth of understanding of the Old Testament. Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a theologian. Paul had a doctorate degree, valedictorian. So Paul is used by God to open up the gospel to the nations, and the others couldn't see it. And think about this. In Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council, when they were debating what is the gospel that we're going to set out, if Peter and Paul didn't agree, who would have lost? Paul would have lost. Because Peter walked with Jesus, Paul did not. But when Peter and Paul agreed, now we got something solid. But it took a vision for Peter to accept Gentile conversions. And remember, Acts 11 is all about him explaining to the Jews, why did you go in the house of a Gentile? But Paul said, no, the gospel is to the world. It's, we were supposed to be the repositories of knowledge, and you guys are only going to the Jews. And so the gospel's to the nations. That took a breath of understanding. In fact, Isaiah 49, 6, it says that I'm, it's too small of a thing for me to send you just to the nation of Israel. So I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Paul took that prophetic word personally in Acts 14. He said, the Lord has called me to the nations. So Paul was groomed from childhood. Is part of this ability to almost, um, shall we say, straddle the fence, a, a, a foot in Judaism and a foot in Romanism, we'll call it. Uh, the, the ability to see beyond his Hebrew roots, is that largely based in the fact that he was, though a Hebrew, a Roman citizen? And how did he get to become a Roman citizen in the first place? So that's a great question. F.F. F. Bruce probably does the best work on it, but Paul was a tent maker. Um, it says that he was born a Roman citizen. That would mean that his parents had to have Roman citizenship. They lived in what is day, today modern-day Turkey, but it was Cilicia, Tarsus of Cilicia, uh, they were tent makers. Tent maker was made out of uh, silicium. It's a goat hair tightly woven together, almost like a Gore-Tex, waterproof and warm. And so the thought is, is they had a contract with the military to make these tents and garments for the Roman army in exchange for Roman citizenship. Mm. So his parents handed it down to him. So Paul's born with Roman citizenship, which he used very wisely a couple times to get out of tight spots. He did, did he not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. But it gave him the ability to, to also speak to a much broader audience in a sense, didn't it? Yeah. It gave him the, today we would say the street cred. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about from his early days, he, he studied under the Pharisees. In fact, his father was a Pharisee, was he not? Yeah. He said, I'm a son of a Pharisee. And, and, and again, interesting dichotomy that while he comes from that background, you pointed out in our previous segment the fact that throughout the New Testament we see Jesus having some of the strongest words directed at the Pharisees, the Sadducees to be sure as well, mm-hmm. but at the Pharisees and yet ultimately becomes a Pharisee who helps lead much of the modern-day early church. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I think because the Pharisees were, were the custodians of the Word of God, the Torah, mm-hmm. right? That was their job. So they had an insight and in their own mind an authority to argue Jesus. What did they blast Jesus most for? Breaking the Sabbath. Changing some of the laws of Moses. Calling all foods clean. Saying it's not what goes into a man, it's what comes out of a the man. defiles him. Mm-hmm. Right? Healing. How could you heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus says... 
if your ox or sheep falls in a ditch, won't you take it out? And here's a sick person or a woman that's been bent over from Satan for 18 years, and, and you're going to get upset at me for healing? And it was interesting what the synagogue ruler said. He says, there are six other days. Come and get healed on those days. Yeah, like you're going to heal them? <laughs> that lady's been that way 18 years, bro. You yeah, what are you waiting for? <laughs> yeah, right? And so um, Paul's knowledge enabled him to see things that others couldn't see. Again, Peter wasn't a theologian. Peter was a fisherman that just loved Jesus. Paul was a theologian. And he says, these mysteries were hidden. I didn't see them. So in a sense then, post-Damascus Road conversion, his background as a Pharisee, as opposed to necessarily um, blinding him from being able to see, actually in some respects gave him an insight that few others could bring to the table. It's almost as if I know how to answer the argument because I know the argument. Yeah. So you remember when he got saved, he was blinded for three days, didn't eat anything. I see Paul, and this is how I teach my church, I see Paul rolling on the ground in a room, in a fetal position, for three days realizing all his misinterpretations of the Old Testament. Mm. It just it became clear to him, like, what a, what a, how could I have missed that? Jesus is the Messiah. He, you know, he didn't see the lamb motif. He saw the lion motif, right. the king of David sit on the throne. That's why Judas backed out of the whole deal. You're going to die? You mean you're not going to rule? And yeah, this is not the image of the king that we have in our minds. Right. And so, but they didn't see the lion, the lamb. You know, Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. They missed all that stuff. Or that he would suffer, not suffer decay. Or that... Uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand, Psalms 110, and you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All those things that Paul just misunderstood. And now he's going, oh, my gosh. And it says that he got up immediately after the three days, and an eyes prayed for him, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized him, blinders came off. He immediately went into the synagogue in Acts 9 in Damascus and began to argue profusely from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So the very theology, in a sense, that stood in his way from seeing and understanding became the foundation that he ultimately preached from. Yep, exactly. Yep. And so these other guys, they couldn't do it. Uh, but what Peter and them had that Paul didn't have was the late night campfire talks. Mm-hmm. They watched him do the miracles. They were sent out in Luke 9 and Luke 10 to go out and do the stuff. And they came back saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And, and so they were doing some great things. And Paul wasn't part of that entourage. But Paul was called to be an apostle. And, and he, as he argued, not by man. Nobody did this to me. From your viewpoint, the distinction of his theological background, particularly coming from uh, the viewpoint of the Pharisees, did that ultimately become contributory? And, and, I, and I'm going to answer my own question in part mm -hmm. by saying we know that God does nothing by mistake or by accident, that it almost appears to be very purposeful that of all people that would help lay out so much of the core deep theology in the New Testament comes from Paul's pen, and particularly so when we talk about the works of the Holy Spirit. You get midpoint book of Acts heading forward, and the one guy that's kind of laying down the role of the Holy Spirit in the modern church is, in fact, Paul. It's Paul. You remember, Jesus alluded to it, John 14, John 15, John 16, you know, if I don't go away, I can't send another comforter to you. Um, 
John 7, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he was speaking of the Spirit, John said. Um, but that's all we really get. We don't get a whole lot. He said, wait for the promise my Father promised you, and you'll receive power. But it was Paul that develops all this pneumatology, the Spirit working in our lives. We, we understand heretofore the Comforter is going to come. And when he does, he will empower you. But what that means, what that looks like, what the practical application of that is, really doesn't get revealed until Paul enters the scene. You know that old saying, um, you can't, if you can't clearly uh, specify something or, or lay it out, then it's not clear in your own mind. Mm-hmm. And so Paul was able to take what Peter could do. Peter says, I know how to operate in the spirit. My shadow heals people. I know how to walk in this kind of anointing. But he couldn't explain it. He couldn't write it out piece by piece, and Paul did that for us. And so I take a whole chapter in the book on Paul and the Holy Spirit uh, that God used him. Pastor Gary Martera with us today in studio, Senior Pastor of Faith Fellowship San Leandro. The broadcast, I Speak Life, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. More information on the web at ispeaklife.net. The new book, A Man Named Paul. We take a brief time out. We return to more of our conversation as our look at A Man Named Paul continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Our visit continues with Pastor Gary Mortero. The new book is called A Man Named Paul. By the way, you can get more information about the book, the ministry of Pastor Gary at Faith Fellowship in San Leandro. If you're maybe new to the Bay Area looking for a new church home, you're certainly welcome to drop by and visit Faith Fellowship. And, of course, invite you to tune in each Monday through Friday for a deep look into God's Word on I Speak Life, heard Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. here on KFAX. Let's come back to our conversation regarding this amazing guy named Paul. It seems as if, too, as he lays out much of the, and you mentioned this before the break, that um, many of the apostles that walked with Jesus, they understood how they operated in the Holy Spirit, but what that looked like, how to communicate that toward others, the role that the Holy Spirit would play in the growth of the church, in in the enabling of the church. Do a little edit mark there. In the growth of the church, in the enabling of the church, to really spread like wildfire the way it did. They knew that it worked, but they didn't really know how it worked. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much of Paul's understanding of theology was contributory to help explain that message to new believers? That's an interesting question. Um, You know, his traveling companion was Luke, and Luke wrote Acts. And if you look at Luke's writings, even the gospel closely, he brings in a lot of Holy Spirit language because he walked with Paul. Paul was his teacher, his mentor, and Paul was all about the working of the Spirit. And remember in the Old Testament, you know, the kings, the priests, the prophet, they worked under the Spirit. The 70 leaders in, under Moses walked in the Spirit because God will enable them to. But by and large, the Spirit would come upon but not live in. But now in the New Testament, Paul makes it clear that we're to walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The mind uh, led by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that's led by the flesh is death. 
And so all this explanation of how we as Christians live our lives, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. How can you join your body with a harlot? You know, the two become one flesh, basically, but you are one spirit with Christ. And so, man, nobody else could explain that. And I wonder if that bridge was important, because from the perspective of the apostles, they talk about Jesus having known him, walked with him, watched him die on that tree. They had the real-life tactile experience of knowing Jesus Christ. Paul, aside from perhaps some encounters that you suggest earlier, very adversarial, um, was not involved in the day-to-day ministry of Jesus. So he's sort of once removed in that regard. And now you have this new generation of believers who are hearing about Jesus for the first time that have to learn how to relate to this God, understand and walk with Christ in a fashion that's very different or unlike the apostles who knew him, saw him, walked with him in the flesh, and yet the way they could explain Jesus, relate to him, very different from a believer that, that as, as the phrase in, in Scripture goes, um, not having seen and yet still believe. So I wonder if there was a unique distinction in, in Paul's ability to communicate the gospel message because he was the one guy that would say, hey, I wasn't with him in this ministry the way they were. Paul had an ability, um, you know, if you look at his missionary journeys in Acts 13 and 14, then 16 and 17 and 18, um, he had an ability to reach people. And, and he tells us why in 1 Corinthians 9 is because of the way he thought. He said, when... When I'm with the Jews, I become a Jew. Mm -hmm. When I'm with the Gentiles, I become a Gentile. I become all things to all all men men. that I might reach some of them. Mm -hmm. Where the Jews who are stuck in their Judaism, they looked at the Gentiles as second-class people, dogs, remember? And, And so to even engage with them, Paul said, I rebuked Peter to his face because when he came into Antioch, he was hanging out with Gentiles. But soon as some Jews came from, from James in Jerusalem, Peter withdrew lacking the people skills and Paul rebuked him right to his face which is a huge argument if Peter really was a pope who goes around rebuking the pope to his face (laughs) I say Paul was the pope (laughs) let's talk about his role in that regard um, as a key church leader Um, we as we've discussed in our in our conversation today speak of him in very glowing terms um, you know, uh, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, uh, it would be fascinating if we could trace our personal spiritual lineage, how many go directly back to the ministry of Paul. Mm-hmm. That said, during his time alive, he wasn't necessarily loved and embraced by everybody in the church, was he? Nope. He, he? In fact, sometimes he was the guy, you know, don't shoot the messengers, the saying goes, had to deliver uh, rebukes, as you just mentioned, oftentimes to kind of put the church back in its place. I mean, I suspect, for example, at Corinth, they probably didn't often say, hey, let's invite him over and have him out to dinner because he wasn't necessarily their most popular guy, was he? Yeah, I mean, he was at first. Remember, he was their father. He birthed that church over 18 months uh, in Acts uh, 18. But they turned on him after he left. And the Judaizers, these Jewish men, would come in and they would say things like this. Paul's not really an apostle. And they would say, why not? He didn't walk with Mm -hmm. Jesus. He wasn't one of the original 12. He's a self-proclaimed apostle. You know, Paul's in this for the money. These miracles are, they're phony. 
And so Paul literally writes 2 Corinthians to defend his own character and remind them, guys, wait a minute, you were there. Shall I come to you with a whip or shall I come to you in love? I'm trying to remind you that I'm in that good guy and God put his hand on me and I am an apostle because the the signs of an apostle are miracle signs and wonders which I did among you with great perseverance. So that was a tough book for him to write. Mm -hmm. His heart was broken. And in terms of the overall sense, if you think of the the rebuke that he often handed out to various churches um, in those days of, of his ministry on earth, um, there were some that vilified him for for that as well, didn't they? He, again, he was kind of the guy that had to deliver the message, had to bring the medicine that didn't always go down all that smoothly. And, you know, he was labeled as an antinomiast, nomia's law. He was against law because now he's preaching that salvation is by grace which is a huge argument today to this point, of course, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was reading a Roman Catholic book the other day, and, you know, it's faith plus works. Um, so Paul was accused because he was saying it's all by faith in Jesus Christ alone. You know, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God raised from the dead. And so they're going, well, Paul, what are you doing with the law? What about our background, our roots, our heritage? And Paul's saying, look, I'm not telling you you, you, you don't have to live right. But the Spirit starts teaching you love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When you live that way, there is no law. You don't need a law. The Spirit becomes your guide. And that's where he says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. So he was vilified from the outside, from the inside, had to explain himself oftentimes. Um, tough, tough role. Yeah, not, not an easy role to be sure, and yet a critical one in terms of the overall foundation of the church, the tone that he set for the church, particularly relationship, as we we touched on earlier, to understanding the workings of the Holy Spirit within the church. Expand upon that a little bit more, if you would. So, you know, as believers, as Protestant Christians, evangelicals, we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, that God does everything by the Spirit working in us. And again, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the children of God. Um, what sets us apart is God's presence within us. Uh, Paul said, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That's a deep conversation right there. You know, if you're in a Pentecostal camp, does that mean you got to speak in tongues or you're not saved? Because that argument has been had before. Um, what is the sign that somebody has the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's a changed life. We'll know them by their fruit. They'll, they'll, you know, if there's a profession of faith, there will be an activation of that faith in the way we live. And so you can get goofy because the Spirit of God speaking through someone is different than the actual writing of the Scripture. The Scripture says this. It's frozen on paper. We know that. But when somebody says, well, the Spirit told me, that's a little tougher to gauge. And so people get a little wacky. But uh, I think we've marginalized the Holy Spirit. I don't think we give him room to really operate through us the way that he wants. If we really listened, I think the Spirit of God wants to speak to us way more than we realize. Well, and some have argued, have gone as far as arguing that the the stifling of the effectiveness of the church, aside from all the obvious things, you know, debates over theology and yeah. being lazy and all of that, that the stifling of the movement of the Holy Spirit is probably the principal contributory factor behind what we see is sometimes a paralyzed church. And again, this is not meant to be a blanket accusation, but we know some churches are vibrant and alive and others are as just as dead as a doornail. Yeah. 
and and it comes back to the pastor and i argued this with dr john MacArthur and and and, and also in my book the token charismatic that we as pastors you know especially if we have multiple services if you have one service man it's easy but if you have multiple services where the crowds are coming in and going out and coming in and going out and you're on a time slot it's easy to quench the holy spirit like if worship's rolling and people are being touched and blessed, but man, we only got another minute and a half to do this and we got to move on to announcements and offerings so I can preach the word, we shut him down. And then we wonder why things aren't happening. And, you know, I think there's got to be a way where we're sensitive to what is the Spirit of God wanting to do. Is there also sometimes the perception of a loss of control that factors in here where suddenly, think, well, you know, we just don't want things getting out of hand. And it can almost become a, a, a me versus them scenario where the pastor in the pulpit, who is the shepherd after all, who is accountable after all, that wants to keep things, everything neat and in order because we can't let it get out of hand. Is that problematic too? Is that contributory? It is. You know, what happens is if you don't understand the working of the spirit in those moments, Craig, you will do something in your humanness mm-hmm. to fill that gap instead of just waiting, just waiting. Be still and know that I'm God. They say that one of the most uncomfortable times in radio is when there's the pregnant intentional pause <laughs> and everybody goes, oh, where's the sound? Yeah. We feel uncomfortable in this moment. And so we feel as if we got to fill it, stop it, do something, do react something. to it somehow, yeah. as opposed to simply letting it breathe and seeing where it's going to take us. It's much like the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting if you go back into the Gospels and you watch Jesus like when he he was walking and um, Jairus' daughter was dying and then the woman touched him with the issue of blood. Mm -hmm. And so when he gets to the house, she's dead. But Jesus said, no, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And the people laughed at him. And he said, get out. Get out. He made everybody get out of the house except for the parents and Peter, James, and John so he could minister there because people don't all understand the working of the Spirit of God. And, of course, Jesus had the Spirit without measure, obviously. I mean, he was the anointed one. Indeed, right? goes without speaking. And, and, but Paul did say, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I said, people have the wrong idea of what filled means. They think of a cup. Well, I'm filled. I'm all, you know, I'm all... No, I think of it as a bank account. When somebody says my bank account is filled, does that mean there's no more room for any more money to go into your bank account? Of course not. Right? So when you think of it in that term, Paul saying, hey, you can have as much of the Holy Spirit as you want. God may even give it to you all the way to the point of without measure. But who wants to walk that way? Who wants to pay that price? You know, Peter said this in Acts 6 when they had trouble with the widows passing out food. He says, pick seven men who who were wise and have the spirit because we must give our time to the teaching of the word and to prayer. And today, pastor's times is not teaching of the word and prayer. It's how to run the church. Yeah, raise, raising money or getting the roof repaired. We'll pause on that point. Come back to more of our conversation. Pastor Gary Mortera with us today in studio. His broadcast, I Speak Life, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. We're talking about his new book, A Man Named Paul. A brief time out. Back with more right after this. Hey. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Our visit today with Pastor Gary Mortera. He, by the way, is the speaker on I Speak Life. That broadcast can be heard every Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. He is the senior pastor at Faith Fellowship Church in San Leandro. More information on the web at ispeaklife.net. You can get more information about the book there as well, ispeaklife.net. We are indeed talking about a man named Paul. And and since we went to theological meddling before before the break, I want to stay in that vein for a moment. I, I, I mentioned earlier, Pastor Gary, that of all of the authors in the New Testament, the one that deals the most with the presence of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit, the functions, the responsibilities, the jobs, and all of it related to the Holy Spirit is, in fact, Paul himself. And it's interesting because much of the church today seems to be in this awkward position where we, certainly from a Trinitarian standpoint, understand the importance of the Holy Spirit and yet are so often willing to relegate him to the corner somehow or are afraid of what things might look like if the spirit gets out of hand. I mean, it, 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 it's almost from the sublime to the ridiculous in terms of the misunderstanding, the theological misappropriation of the role of the Holy Spirit in the church today. And when we say Holy Spirit, some people, even listening to our conversation right now, recoil, think, oh, my goodness, they're going to talk about a bunch of Pentecostal stuff, not recognizing the unique role that the Spirit plays, and that when we talk about the Spirit, it's not just some odd foreign thing that causes people to speak in languages that we don't understand, but the very enabler that allows the church to do what God God called it to do, and the very person by which conviction is brought to someone who was separated from or walking apart from a relationship with Christ. Yeah, I mean, from conversion uh, all the way up to the gifts of the Spirit and to leading your everyday life. Um, this, the Holy Spirit is the key. I mean, think what Jesus said. Wait in Jerusalem until the gift my Father promised. Well, what was it? It wasn't a Cadillac. It wasn't a new house. It wasn't a ranch. It was the Holy Spirit. And He's going to be the one that empowers you to do what I want you to do. And so the gift is that important. And for Paul to write at it, write about it so prolifically, he knew that it is what we need, what we need. And so what, I think it's unfortunate, Craig, um, and I'm going to say a very general statement here, but it's unfortunate that pastors don't teach more about the working of the Holy Spirit, not just in a little isolated cubicle of your one theolo- theological stance on the Holy Spirit, but I'm saying, let's unfold the Scriptures. What does the Scripture say? Uh, yes. It was a circus in Corinth. It was an absolute circus the way they were going about the gifts of the Spirit. But Paul didn't say, let's do away with them. He didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is what I argued MacArthur about, that he said, no, here's how to operate in them. They have great functionality and great ability. What is the purpose of the gifts? The gifts of the Spirit are to build up the body of Christ. That's what Paul's argument is. These gifts can build you up if you operate in them properly. And in fact, he said, eagerly desire the spiritual gift, especially the gift of prophecy. Why? Because prophecy builds people up. It encourages people. It comforts people. And man, there's nothing like, Craig, if you walk into church, whether you're a Pentecostal or not, a charismatic or not, and somebody says, hey, the Lord wanted me to tell you, 
and you, and they give you a word that was just for you, you feel loved, you feel encouraged, you feel like God cares for you. It's a positive thing, but pastors don't want to teach it. That disconnect from the, the outward signs, we'll call it, of the workings of the Holy Spirit, does that tend to, therefore, because we sometimes want to relegate that to the corner, we're uncomfortable by it, and so as a result, we kind of push it aside, does that cripple the church in its ability to execute its number one job, and that is the dissemination of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because it, it's unique to notice from the very first times and you just alluded to it in terms of the instructions that came to wait in the upper room, that the Spirit would come to empower to be his witnesses. And there's a real stated purpose throughout Scripture in terms of the principal role of what the Holy Spirit helps us do. And so I wonder if sometimes the relegation of the Spirit out of ignorance or fear has caused the church to become at, at certain levels, again, not a blanket accusation, but at certain levels to become ineffective at what we've been called to do. I, I wouldn't say ineffective I, uh, because the, the Word of God is the Word of God. It will not return void. When, when the Word of God is proclaimed, the Spirit's already doing the work. So people are going to get saved just by the Word of God and the Spirit's working. But I think we're not as effective as we can be because we've marginalized the Holy Spirit and Again, that's why I took the time to write that book, The Token Charismatic. I felt like, you know, I want people to really know, let's look at it from a scriptural standpoint. And I I did my best to try to define it and and explain it. But um, there should be some apprehension because there's a lot of phony stuff. And again, you can't test the spirit like you can the word. Um, and, And people have done a lot of phony and goofy things in the name of the Holy Spirit. But we're not trying to exalt the Holy Spirit. We're trying to exalt Jesus, right? But the Holy Spirit is the one that does that, according to John 16. He does not speak on his own, but he speaks only that which he hears. And so it, it all is all to exalt Jesus. But if, if pastors would be honest and just say, let's teach what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit in all of its aspects, from grieving him to lying to him to... Um, what does it say? Quenching in quenching First Thessalonians, right? Mm-hmm. Quenching the Spirit, um, to being led by the Spirit, to having our minds renewed by the Spirit, all of that, I, I think we'd be more effective. And again, it's important, I think, to not allow the theological disconnect that sometimes we wish to relegate that person of the Godhead and then turn around and tell everybody how we are proud Trinitarians, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which makes no sense. I mean, it's, it's, it's a dichotomy, to be sure. Uh, and that brings us back full circle. We began our discussion today about a man named Paul, uh, a unique to note that some might say in terms of the, the theology that he disseminated in the New Testament, he's probably one of the more conservative speakers in the in the New Testament, and yet the one that spoke the most about the character and person of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. As you have studied the life of Paul, um, bring us back full circle. What was the one thing in even your research for this book that said to you, wow, this guy is really um, somebody that I should follow after. You know, follow me as I follow Christ. Talk to me about that influence of Paul's life on Gary Mortera's life. Yeah, you know, he just loved Jesus. He just loved Jesus. Uh, before the Damascus Road, he hated him. That's why Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? You're killing my people. You're putting them in prison. Why are you doing that, Paul? And Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And from that moment, everything became about Jesus. 
he fell in love with his Lord. And um, that's why he did what he did. And he said, I'm not even, you know, Agabus prophesies, right? The man that owns his belt is going to be tied hand and foot. If he goes to Jerusalem, Paul said, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm not only ready, ready to get tied up, I'm ready to die for my Lord. He says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ as Lord. It's all about Christ. And, and I mean, that's who we serve. We don't serve Paul. Paul was just somebody that followed Christ. And golly, if somebody's really following Christ, Craig, you're going to want to spend some time yeah, with that guy. Follow me as I follow Christ, indeed. The book, again, called A Man Named Paul. Information about the book available online. Simply go to ispeaklife.net. That's ispeaklife.net. There you'll also find information about Pastor Gary's radio broadcast, I Speak Life, heard Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. Say a word about the church. Folks listening that are new to the Bay Area saying, you know, we're looking for a new church home. Tell me in 30 seconds or less about what goes on there at Faith Fellowship. I think you'll enjoy it. First of all, it's easy freeway access right on the 880 freeway at the uh, Llewellyn exit. We have three services on Sunday morning, 9 a.m., uh, 1045, 1245. Uh, we have, it's a very diverse church. Craig, you've been there. It's a uh, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, millionaires, people on welfare. It looks like the Bay Area. It looks like heaven, right? Amen. And uh, we, it's a live church, you know, and I preach the word every week, uh, line upon line. Uh, we've gone from 65 people to over 2,000. We've planted 10 pastors out in the Bay Area. Uh, so God is alive and well moving in our church. Good stuff. Again, information available on the web at ispeaklife.net. That's ispeaklife.net. Our thanks to Pastor Gary Mortera, speaker on I Speak Life and senior pastor at Faith Fellowship San Leandro for being with us. Again, the book titled A Man Named Paul.